So we're going to look at a passage in Mark today, marking the beginning of what they call the Passion Week of Jesus. And uh, our scripture here is something that happened right before the triumphal entry of Jesus. So it's Mark chapter 8, 31 to 38. Mark 8, 31 to 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get be Get behind me, Satan, he says. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me, for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Some of you might remember this, but I think it was about eight years ago. Uh, the Sexsmith Fire Department were, you know, practicing on a Tuesday night like they always do, right? So they're getting their equipment ready and getting their machinery all shiny and going through drills. And they do this, you know, all the time. So just in case something happens, they're ready to go. But on that evening, 7.30 p.m., 911 calls rolled out to the fire department. And one of those historic grain elevators in Sexsmith was ablaze, only a block away from the Sexsmith Fire Department at that time. And what a fire it was. In fact, we were uh, out for Cheryl's birthday supper, and we were coming home that night. And we go, what in the world? Because we could see the glow in the distance, right? We could see the smoke and the ashes just pouring out of the fire's belly. Because uh, our house is actually quite close to this, to the green elevator. And so ashes were everywhere, and sparks were flying everywhere, and Tuesday night at the fire department wasn't a practice night anymore. It was the real thing, the very real thing. So here we are, right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, and things become very real. And the disciples are in for a big shock. So the practice was over, so to speak. And something new, something new and dangerous was just ahead of them. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, are the disciples ready for what's coming? Are we ready for what's coming? Will the disciples continue to follow Jesus into this danger. We must ask the question for ourselves. Are we willing to follow Jesus no matter what the cost, no matter how dangerous? 
So at the very beginning, Jesus called his disciples. He invited them to be fishers of men. And so we're told in the Gospel of Mark, they immediately followed him. That's a key word in Mark, right? This sense of, you know, immediacy. Follow Jesus, a new adventure, fresh excitement entered their lives. And when they followed Jesus, I mean, what an experience. They witnessed miracle after miracle. Jairus' daughter getting healed. Stilling the sea of all things. Wow. But as we get to the gospel of Mark chapter 8, what is called sometimes the epicenter of Mark, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you think I am? Who do people say that I am? Wow, bold. Peter, always the first one to talk, says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And he was confident about that. As soon as Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus knew it was time to tell them something about him that was radically different than any other self-proclaimed Messiah said before him. It wasn't just something new that, you know, it was that danger lay ahead, but it was something more radical than this. It would be this. Jesus would walk straight into this danger. It wasn't so much that Jesus might suffer or die. No, Jesus was far more clear. It wasn't that he might. It says he must suffer. And he will be rejected by the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And then three days later, rise again. I mean, Jesus didn't sugarcoat anything. I will be rejected. I will be killed. I will rise again in three days. But this offended Peter. It ticked him off. So he boldly took Jesus aside and says, Jesus... This is not going to happen to you. This is not the kind of person that you are. Now, understandably, Jesus' language is very strong, and I think it would offend us too. The Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, killed. Really? What kind of language is this? To Peter, this sounded so completely outrageous for a miracle-working Messiah. After all, he was producing life. Miracles. Peter said in the Gospel of Matthew, This shall never happen to you. But in response to Peter's rebuke, Jesus then rebukes Peter. With the disciples and others looking on, he said, This behind, get me behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So the question is, why is Peter? so upset? And why did Jesus have to rebuke him as he did? In what ways is Peter's mind on the things of man and not God? 
You see, to Peter, a dead Messiah was a loser. A loser Messiah. It just did not compute in his brain, right? If you think about your hero dying, it seems like the end. It didn't make any sense. If you're the king, the true king, the true Messiah, you don't lose. But death to Peter is the ultimate end. This is where losers end up. The Messiah is supposed to win. Jesus is not saying he is going to put up a good fight. It clearly says he will be rejected. He will suffer. He will die. He will rise again in three days. But to Peter and most people in Israel, they would have thought the same thing as Peter. This is not how it's supposed to be. We need you, Jesus, to be the conquering Messiah, and you can blow away the opposition, and we will follow you. But are we any different? You know, we live in a win culture. We live in a success culture. Winning is always better than losing, isn't it? Right? Uh, Some of you might remember this, but a few years back, Uh, the Canadian junior hockey team were a bunch of losers. And it was embarrassing because they could not win even a medal for a few years. They were in the dumps. They could not bring home the gold. They could not even bring home the bronze medal. And they could only hang their heads. And of course, you know, social media blamed the coach. Or they blamed the selection of players. But then, finally, 2015, I believe it is, they did win gold, like the junior team is supposed to. There's a lot of pressure on the junior team in Canada, right? You're supposed to win the gold medal. And, of course, they became heroes. And everyone was proud of them, superstars. Connor McDavid McDavid of the hockey world, is on cereal boxes and magazines, and now he is, the, he is the symbol of success and victory and winning. Now that's the winner, we say. We absolutely hate losers. We send boos on them. Charlie Brown once said, winning ain't everything, but losing ain't anything. Peter didn't want any association with a Messiah that was a loser. And so this is why he rebuked Jesus. But to Jesus, Peter's thinking was a serious problem. Immediately when he rebuked Peter, he said this, Get me behind me, Satan. Opposition to Jesus' walk into suffering and death was seen as actually satanic opposing the mind of God. Peter's opposition to Jesus' clear plan was motivated by humans, man's selfish ambition to divide and conquer and to win. You know, I think if we lived in Peter's day, I think we might be a little more sympathetic because it was a crazy world. It was a mad world. Injustice, Corruption everywhere. Jews like Peter dreamed of the day when a king would overthrow and wipe out the Roman oppressors. 
In fact, someone tried this 60 years before this. Another so-called Messiah, but he was brutally crushed. Peter wanted to be a part of a nation of winners and not losers. Jesus was his ticket to winning. But he didn't understand quite yet that the way to true freedom was through the way of the cross. So why did Jesus have to go to the cross? As we reflect upon the cross this Passion Week, we have to remind ourselves of this question. Why did Jesus walk his way to the cross? Why did he have to suffer and die? Because after all, it sounds so weak. It sounds so pathetic. What are you going to accomplish by dying? Well, let me give you a couple reasons. We need Jesus' unconditional love. You see, our problem is we don't really know what we need. The old Beatles song, for those of you who liked the Beatles way back when, all we need is love. All we need is love, love, love. Uh, They don't really say where this love is supposed to come from. I assume it's human love, right? Just go out and love each other, something like that. Most certainly, everyone agrees the world needs to be a little more loving, right? Everyone agrees with that. No one disagrees with that. But human love, our love, actually doesn't quite cut it. Theologian named William William Van Stone once said, our real problem is that nobody is actually fully capable of giving true love. Now, Vanstone is not saying that we aren't capable of giving any kind of love at all. He's not saying that. He's saying that nobody is fully capable of true love. In other words, our love is somewhat fake. Now, why is this? Tim Keller says this. It is because every human being needs to be loved just like we need air and water. So we look for people to love us and to affirm us. But of course, because we are human, we invest our love only in people who give us a return in love and care. So in the end, we're only capable of unconditional, sorry, of conditional love. And so we're all the same in that way. Each of us looking for love and incapable of giving true love away. So this is where we're stuck. This is our quandary. This is our desperate need. Who can love us without needing to be loved back? Who can give us the love that we so desperately need? The answer is Jesus the King. And within Jesus is the very meaning of love because he is love. He is God himself in human flesh. And the only way we can gain any more love that we lack is actually from Jesus himself. So, back to the question again. Why did Jesus have to suffer and die and be raised again? He did this because he loved us. 
And his love is ultimately a perfect love. A vulnerable, sacrificial love for you and me. It's perfect love. The way of Jesus through the way of death is also the way of perfect divine love. He did it because we needed it. We're desperate for it. When we accept and receive his love by trusting in Jesus to save us, he then gives us this growing capacity to love even our enemies. He gives us his love that affirms us, and little by little our relationships become a little more loving. And we're not so much loving to get, but loving simply to love as Jesus did. Jesus' death was necessary to pay the debt of our sins. Jesus said, I must die. But wait a minute. Why did he have to be killed on a criminal's cross? If Jesus' death was so necessary, you know, why not just throw us off, off a cliff? But Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Shedding of blood in the Bible simply is another way of saying a life that is given or taken. Only by giving his own life By dying on the cross, could Jesus pay the debt of our sin? But there is also something else going on here. It was the way in which Jesus died. Jesus was not kidnapped by thugs, blindfolded and stuffed in the bag of a wagon and then beaten to death. It was the religious world of that day that arrested him and charged Jesus in the court of the law But Jesus did nothing wrong to receive such a trial or sentence. The Romans could have and should have stood against such false accusations. But they went right along with the religious leaders and condemned Jesus to die on a criminal's cross. You see, the cross of Jesus exposed the injustice and the corruption and evil in the world and in our own hearts. By condemning Jesus to die, the world condemned themselves. You see, Jesus was not a failure at all. His death exposed the corruption of the world, but at the same time, it demonstrated the righteous character of God, who willingly died and paid the debt of sins of the world, and for you and for me. And so when he submitted himself to death, And to die, he broke death's hold on our lives. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Now with this in mind, we now have to turn the conversation to ourselves. What about us? This is what Jesus does. 
After Jesus spoke of his need to die, he turns then the conversation to around his disciples and the crowd. He turns the conversation, so to speak, to you and to me. And so this is where verses 34 to 37 speak directly to us. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for the sake and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for his soul? So Jesus is saying, I am the true king on the cross. If you want to follow me, you must go to the cross with me. So what does it mean to take up the cross and follow Jesus? What does it mean to lose your life for the sake of the gospel? Well, let me give you several things here. Following Jesus means stop trying to save your life. Instead of saving ourselves, Jesus tells us to lose our life, to deny ourselves. I mean, what does this really mean? Jesus isn't talking about, you know, beating yourself up. He's not talking about self-hatred. No, not at all. Nor is he talking about viewing ourselves as victims and feeling sorry for ourselves in our misery. Uh, Again, Tim Keller says this, Jesus is not saying, I want you to lose your sense of being an individual self. None of this is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus views us as valuable men and women in the image of God. But as long as we try to run our own lives without God... We lose our true selves. That is God's concern. That is what I mean by we have to stop trying to save our lives in our own power. We need to die to ourselves, our selfish selves, and stop trying to save ourselves, which, of course, is not even possible. Secondly, to deny ourselves is creating room within our hearts to follow Jesus. You know, no one is free to follow Jesus when we stand in the way of him. We block him when we stand in his way. As long as we try our methods to save our lives and make ourselves happy through other means, whether it be money or pleasures or power and control, we can't follow Jesus. There can only be one master. In other words, don't try to build your self-identity through any of these things because sooner or later, it will fall apart. You will be exposed. But let's not misunderstand. Some people are only interested in Jesus by what they can get out of him. By using Jesus, they are keeping themselves still in charge. So you can sound and look religious, but you might be using Jesus. 
and we're still selfish to the core. We are only inviting Jesus into an already crowded heart, crowded room of other idols in our heart. But there is no room for Jesus in that kind of heart, in that kind of room. Far too crowded. There must be one God. That's Jesus. If Jesus is simply one of many tools or idols in our little happy box to create meaning in your life, we leave no room for Jesus to be king. If Jesus truly is the Messiah who walked to the cross in sacrificial love for us, our motivation ought to be one that says, Jesus, I surrender my all to you. And just as you died, I died to myself. And I want you, Jesus, to reign in my life. And nothing else and no one else matters but you. That should be our sincere prayer. And Jesus said again, verse 36, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeits his soul? It's a warning, right? Many people say, if only I had this and that. If only I had just a little more riches. Or if only I found that right person. If only I could win that lottery, etc., etc. Then maybe, this maybe I might be happy. No, Jesus says, those visions are false visions and they must die. Even if you have all the money, all the homes, all the fame, all the status, it is never enough to the, for the needs of your soul, the deepest part of you. That stuff can't touch it. Only Jesus, the sacrificial king who loved us in death, is enough. He is enough. And so taking up your cross means we must die to self-determination. Our narcissistic selves trying to run our lives. We have to understand the true ugliness of a self-run life. It is ugly. It is sinful. It brings us down. We need Jesus. And so we need to lose before we win. We need to die to ourselves on the way to victory through Christ. Now, we haven't much time to talk about the last thing Jesus said, but we need to say something about it, and I will say more about it next Sunday because, of course, it's Easter Sunday, right? But do you remember... It's almost hidden from view, but he said it the whole time. Jesus predicted that he would suffer and he would die. And then he said, he will be raised to life in three days. It's, it's there the whole time, right? Three days after death on the cross, Jesus says he would rise from death. You see... Weakness and death are not the final words. As followers of Jesus, not following the values of the world may look awfully weak and unpopular sometimes. We look like misfits. 
corrupt powers of the world may try to intimidate followers of Jesus. They can beat you. They can torture you. I hope not, but in some places of the world, even as we speak today, that's actually happening to believers who truly follow Jesus. Their final tool, Satan's final tool of intimidation is death. But weakness and suffering and death are not the final words. When Jesus comes again, every follower of Jesus will come to new life in Jesus. New bodies, new heaven, new earth. Even though Jesus came in weakness and brought down, was brought down in death, resurrection with Jesus is the final word. Sneaky peek for next Sunday. Not very sneaky. We already know it. But it's so true. and so awesome. Well, let me just kind of close with a story. Um, Probably about eight years ago, um, my aunt passed away. She's one of my um, mom's younger sisters. My mom has 13 13 children in, in her family. And she had... Uh, two brothers and all the rest were, were girls. But anyway, her name was Aunt Noreen. And she was a follower of Jesus. And she had a broad smile on her face and a hearty laugh. And she was known to have a heart of mercy for those who were less fortunate than herself. She had the gift of mercy. And so she loved children. And she taught them in Sunday school. And when she ran Awana clubs with her husband, um, she loved these children. Uh, Loved anyone who were just less fortunate. Then she became older and a senior, and she couldn't do these things she used to, but she turned to prayer. Uh, She would always tell me, Daniel, I appreciate you, and I'm praying for you. It's pretty significant when an aunt says that to you once in a while. So then the last 10, 15 years of her life or so, she began to lose her memory. She succumbed to Alzheimer's disease. Uh, Not a disease anyone wants. And so she suffered. And she slowly wasted away. And one day, (coughs) she was gone. You know, when you look at her life from the outside, you don't think it's much of a life, right? Not a whole lot of fame. No one really knows her, except for the children and those she loved. But her son Stephen at her funeral just simply said, my mother loved Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And of course, they spoke of her love for the less fortunate. She followed Jesus to the cross. Jesus, her king, occupied her heart. And that's what really matters. And yes, she died in a horrible way. They found her dead in her home, and she was probably there for a week before anyone noticed, and everything just seemed really kind of sad, right? 
But in the end, death is never the final word. Death is never the final word, no matter how ugly it turns out in the end. When you trust Jesus, there's always resurrection. There's always new life. When Jesus is your king, there's always resurrection. When we die with Christ, Jesus says, you will resurrect with me too. And so even though it looks like we're losing, it seems unfabulous, unpopular, backwards, in Jesus as our Messiah, the suffering king who died and resurrected, in Jesus, we are winners, not losers. And so the question goes out to all of us, do you choose to follow Jesus to the cross? Which simply means, are you going to die to your own selfish life and live for Jesus? Or are you going to keep living that kind of life where you're in charge? And Jesus simply warns us, if you go ahead and do that kind of life, you're going to forfeit your soul. You're going to lose grip. In the end, death will be death. But if you know Jesus, death leads to life, eternal life, resurrection. So don't try to save your life or you will lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of Jesus, you will save it. And resurrection will be the final word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you. And Lord, I ask that you would cause someone in this room to make a decision for you. Help us recognize the kind of life that we're living. Maybe we're not living a life for you. We're still on that treadmill of living for ourselves, in our own steam, in our own power. I ask that you would give someone here, well, more than someone, many, the courage to say, yes, Lord, I have lived my own life and I confess and repent my sin and I turn my life to you. Lord, give them that courage. May your spirit help them to make a decision to choose you. Just as that Easter, Easter musical we've been talking about and listening to, we all have to make a choice. And that choice is to follow you, Lord. Give us that courage. Give someone that ability through your Holy Spirit to make a decision for you. And may they know that even in death, in Jesus, it always leads to resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.